Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I know you've heard me say this so many times and on the the heels of season two, I'm in awe of the amazing leaders that I'm being introduced to or someone's referring to me. And and that's how I feel about my guest today. So let me tell you a little bit about Beate Chalette, and I can't wait to talk to her about her name. She is among the top 100 global thought leaders acknowledged by People Hum. And she's also one of the 50 must-follow women entrepreneurs by HuffPost. She is a growth architect. She is the founder of the Women's Code. And she's a first-generation immigrant who found herself in debt, $135,000. She was a single mom. And we're going to unpack a beautiful story for you to meet this amazing heart-centered leader. So, Beate, I'm so delighted. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Deb. I was looking forward to this. I try to stick to 30 minutes, and it's so hard to craft questions when I get all of these amazing global heart-centered leaders who, who come to the show or get referred. So I am really delighted to interview you today. And I want to start with my leadership questions. So if you're ready, I'm going to dig in. Go ahead. Let's do it. I love the authenticity and transparency that you own your story. And I know there's a story in when you share you were in debt, you were a single parent. There's so many women and people that can relate to that story. So share with us. Again, it's a big question. So you can you can summarize and give us your Coles notes. How did you get from, I'm going to call it in the valley, how did you get the resilience to get out of the valley and become one of the top 100 global thought leaders? Yes. And uh, I'll I'll do my very best to pack it as tightly as I can. But the overarching thought of this really is that I always believe that if I drown, I will not drown in a puddle. I will drown in the ocean. And that just tells you that I look at this as a, as a risk that you have to take in order to get out. Because when we, when we start our leadership journey, we know what we know and that gets us to a particular point. But then when we want to go from that point to a different point, we need a whole different set of knowledge. And sometimes I believe God, spirit, the universe puts you through this crazy crash course and says, oh, you want to be in leadership? Well, let me show you how, you know, all the different things that could happen. And so I'm I'm an eight times disaster survivor. And it's not just little things. It's riots, fires, floods, earthquakes, September 11th, and a tsunami. 
And all of these had a material effect on the way I built my business and or the lack thereof. And so I found myself in a lawsuit. I'm deep in debt. I have no idea how I'm going to get out of it. The lawsuit settles. It comes out with nothing, right? So I paid the lawyer and then I have nothing. And so I had to start all over again and I have this great idea and I'm going into debt again. And there comes this moment where, you know, envision me, I'm, I'm, I'm now in Germany and my father has a stroke, but my father didn't have a stroke. He had pancreatic cancer. And so he dies within only six weeks. So it's my best friend, my, my biggest cheerleader uh, passed away and I'm at the grave, literally at the graveside, my phone rings and it's a call from Los Angeles and now we're losing the house. And so, you, you know, this was this defining moment where I fell on my knees, Deb, and I yelled at God. And I said, if you have a plan, this would be an excellent time to fill me in. And then I came back and I surrendered. And this is really to answer the question of how do you do it? Well, resilience comes from at one point, you've done everything you could, you just surrender. And um, I got a letter from the White House because I wrote a letter to the White House asking for help. That put me in touch with the Small Business Administration. That gave me the meeting. That brought me the loan. That gave me a freed up line of credit. That brought me three months later to break even. That's how close it was, Deb, three months. 18 months later, I'm the world leader in celebrity at home stories and architectural and interior images selling into 79 countries in the world. A Bill Gates company comes knocking on my door, says, how do you do it? I said, I'm like any good woman, you want to know what I know, you need to pay for it and make me a multi-million dollar deal. And that's the story. I'm just, we're looking at each other, smiling <laughs> ear to ear here. You know, find me a leader who doesn't have a story. But what I love about you is you own it. And it's like, hey, I was 90 days out. And what's the key word there? You embrace the resilience there was no other option for you. You surrendered. And it's always those moments in time where we think, oh yeah, I forgot I wrote that letter. Oh, this is where you want me to go. So we have to be plucked out of the situation because it's not the path we're meant to be on. And it's so cliche, but I've had this conversation with so many entrepreneurs and leaders and even C-suites who say, well, this, this wasn't the plan, but we had to hit the valley. We had to hit rock bottom. And I loved how you frame it. If I'm going to drown, it's not going to be in a puddle. I'm going out big. It's going to be in the ocean. 100%. Yes. And, and to your point, I do believe that when we are really dialed in, we have control over two things. We know where we are. That's our starting point. And we know where we want to go. These are the two things we can we know. How we get there is generally not up to us. Absolutely. I love, oh, I love that. Okay, the next question is going to always have permanent residency on the show. Share with us what imperfections that you bring to your heart-centered leadership. This is a really interesting way for me to look at it because when I was an editor at Elle magazine in Germany before I immigrated to the United States, I worked with people who were the top of their field, right? It's the politician, it's the Olympian, it's the writer, it's the artist, it's the photographer, and they're, and they're all A. And so for most of our lives, I believe we look at these people and we go like, if I only were to be good at one thing, so I could rise to this, to this height. And then I realized that that's all they knew how to do. They didn't know anything else. And my imperfection is 
that I'm really not maybe the expert on any one single thing. But what makes me the expert is the knowledge I have of all these different things and how they connect with each other. So the gift of my imperfection was that I couldn't be that, but the accumulation of everything else made me that nevertheless. And here's what's powerful about that for the listeners. If you need to click on your computer to go back and hear that answer, I'm going to highly recommend it. I frame it in a way that leadership belongs to everybody. And that's basically what you just unpacked. You don't need a whole bunch of initials after your name. You can be standing in your greatness, knowing who you are, embracing your being as a human and being the best at what you do, whether you're a frontline worker, you know, the cashier in the grocery store. I always make a point of talking to everyone and complimenting someone every day. There's lots of rooms to, you know, to complain, but when you compliment and articulate that you're valuing someone and what they're doing, that's leadership. I agree with that. That is the essence of gratitude. And my mindset teacher said he's always asked what his gratitude practice is. And he says he doesn't have one because his gratitude is now so built into his operating system that he doesn't even ever think about this. But this energy or this optimism that leaders really must possess, this this infectious way where people go, I don't know what it is about her or him, but 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 there's just something she makes me feel good. That's really that part where in this perpetual gratitude and you find something good in everything and you find something complimentary in everyone. I talk to everyone. I mean, literally everyone, just like what you just said. And I find something good to say about everyone. I just think it's a nice space to be in. We can all find something in our day that makes us feel good. I love that. Okay, my next question comes from when I was reviewing your bio and and some of the things that you say. And I love how you talk about at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, and I will quote you, I I want you to walk up to my tombstone where it will say, here lays a woman instrumental in defining what women leadership is. So I want you to share with the listeners, what is your movement and and tell us what you bring and what you've learned along the way. Thank you, Deb. So the idea is that when I, after I sold my company to Bill Gates, I was asked to come on as a senior director for global entertainment. And when I went into the organization, I realized that the system really doesn't work for women. And it doesn't work for minorities, that the system is built by white men for white men, and it works for white men. And there's really nothing wrong with that, because that was the requirement when it was built, and it does really well. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized that that half of the system is missing, the female part of it. So I created the women's code. And in the women's code, I recognized there's two things. Number one, women really need to get, get on the board with each other and become more supportive of each other. And they really need to, you know, really kind of de-bitch themselves uh, because we live in such a, so many women live in the scarcity principle of believing there's only 2% of CEO positions. Now, if I believe there's only 2% of CEO positions, of course, I'm going to take out every woman on my way there. 
Um, and men men love it because that way half of the competition already, you know, takes themselves out on the way there. So number one in the women's code, it's about women leadership is own it and become understand what loyalty is, understand what getting along with others is, understand the ideas of collaboration, community, working together, because those are female-centric attributes. Then I looked at the workplace and said, now, if we have the male piece, and you know, in the male piece, and not of course, not all men are like that, but let's say we make a general assumption. It's more strategic, more logical, more persuasive, more, more competitive. It's about winning but it is ruled by loyalty. Then we look to the women's side and it's a, it's a convoluted mess. We don't even know what it is. The women that get into leadership are worse than men would ever be. Uh, the few that make it up there or middle management is completely clocked up because they're so afraid somebody's going to want what they have. So there's, there's no, um, no advancement opportunity for women because they, they, they shut themselves in. So now we untangle this and we say, Women leadership has its own place and we define what women leadership is. And now what we see in a pandemic and in crisis, what works is women leadership because it's community, collaborative, empathy. It's all the softer part. Are you okay? Are we okay? How do we, how do we all get out of this together? Now, as we elevate the women's code and we have the men's code and we connect the two together. Now we have at long last the final piece that we've been looking for years and decades, and it's called a new business code that is based on what I describe as balanced leadership. Because you know, Deb, as much as I know, the qualities of a leader depend on the situation. Sometimes you need to be hard charging and make hard decisions. And sometimes you need to be soft and empathetic and community driven. And if we can get this piece of information finally out to our leaders to say, you are only having part of what you need to have. There's a whole other part. For women, there's this side missing. And for men, there's this side missing. Can you even imagine what change that will make in how we do performance reviews and how we have conversations about leadership and how we identify what people bring to the table, how that will change minority viewpoints, how that, how that is in essence diversity in action. Absolutely. And just to circle back on the touch point, you know, you mentioned about the collaboration with women over the competition. And that is such a forefront methodology. It's a behavior that needs to be changed. And I was not surprised. I was pleased to see that it was the theme this year for International Women's Day around the world. To requote you, collaboration over competition or debitching. There's enough work for everybody. Let's help each other. Let's lift and rise together. I am so with you on that bandwagon. So Let's get new soapboxes and, and stand up there together and shake this out. What do you think? 100% right there. Now, my last question is, when you look at the word success, what is your interpretation of measurement and how have you applied that to your own life? And I don't mean this from an extrinsic value point, which you talked about. I'd like you to get to share with us from a heartfelt and intrinsic value how you would measure that and and how you view it today because you've come from the valley 
to now being in a, in a much different space. So I'd love for you to break that down for us. Yes. So for me, it's really about impact. So we, like most other businesses, had to really relook at what we do. And so as a strategist and as somebody who really aligns the different elements of a business and helps organizations and, and, and leaders and visionaries to make their operations run better, what I find is that what I do is really provide tools and strategies to help visionaries and leaders to make their impact. And for me, it is measured in impact because I truly believe in my heart that when you have these experiences of hardship, and it's interesting because when I, after I was done with all of these disasters, I really didn't ever want to talk about it again, but I recognize that people don't resonate with the moment the money comes in the bank. The people resonate with the story of what it took you to get there. and so. My job today is to provide inspiration, is to tell the story so people have hope. I call myself an excuse eradicator because now your entire audience, Deb, heard from a woman from Germany, a single mom immigrant with a photography degree who built and sold a business to Bill Gates. Now, if I can figure out how to do it, it must be possible. So therefore, you don't have any excuse not to push yourself to that next level, you know, if you overcome the fear and feel the courage to do it anyway. So to me, what's measured in success is my ability to give people courage, my ability to inspire people, my ability to motivate people, my ability to help people to really make an impact. Because I believe that in an, in an abundant universe, you know, when my ship came in, it was a huge ship. I mean, it was, it was like a luxury liner and my money came in in one big fat chunk. So I just still follow that thought of, I focus on the impact I can make first. I never really worry about money. I mean, of course, I worry about money in the sense, you know, somebody's got to pay the bills, but that's not what drives me. What drives me is impact. I'll tell you what I love about that. When I hear the term return on investment, ROI, I align with what you just beautifully framed there. Return on investment, yes, we know it's a given. There's a fiduciary component to it, but I'm with you. It's about impact. How can my story, my experience, my upbringing, my schooling, my work and life experience, that whole culmination of everything, and you've been there, you've done that, not to sound cliche, and the grit and behavior and mindset that you had to get to. So I love when leaders say, if I can do it, you can do it. And I can tell you how, because I've done it. That to me is powerful. That's influence, it's impact. And there's no ego there. It's stepping into greatness as a woman and just own it, like you said, have the confidence. That's the power. Yes, 100%. And, and specifically for women, what worries me the most about women, Deb, is that I find a lot of women just fall into their fear-based thinking of a protective mindset and not a growth mindset. And growth isn't necessarily just financially. Growth is a personal growth. So if you continue to just protect what you have, you can't grow because that's not the mindset. But if you look at the growth mindset and say, how can I, I already gotten this far. Now, 
how far can I take that? That opens up everything. And that's, I think, an important message we as women must give other women is don't protect, focus on growth. Well, it goes back to how you started the interview. You said, (laughs) I'm not drowning in a puddle. Like if I'm going to drown, if I'm going down, it's going to be in the ocean. And then I love it because the metaphor is you landed up in the ocean, but you were in the the beautiful yacht. Yeah, I I guess, you know, the, the metaphor here would be I was close to drowning and somebody threw me a swim ring and that was the yacht. <laughs> and that's, but that that's a great story and you own it. And I can see the confidence and the proudness on your face. It's beautiful to watch. Now I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just four fun questions. Tell us what's on the top of your mind. So here's my first question. Tell us something that we don't know about you. I was a ballroom dancer when I was young and I absolutely loved, loved dancing. And I even uh, won two competitions. Oh, I love that. It's, it's such a fun activity to watch when people have had training and they can do all the different types of dances. So maybe you'll be on Dancing with the Stars one day. <laughs> I have been, uh, that thought has crossed my mind. Okay, finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Owning yourself and complete awareness and honesty. Oh, I love that. Share with us a book that you've just read or maybe you just finished and share why you chose that book, what you learned and who the author is. I'm actually reading uh, Think and Grow Rich right now. And I'm reading it because I really want to remind myself as I'm now going out with my thought leadership piece that I shared with you a moment ago is um, I want to really bring myself back into full consciousness of this mindset and this awareness mindset of a quantum leap. And in order for you to be in that quantum leap, you got to cover the basics and think and grow rich is the ultimate, ultimate basic. That is a classic book, Napoleon Hill. I was given that book, I want to say, my gosh, maybe 20 years ago by a mentor. It's one of those books that I kind of read every year. There's always, Mm. there's always nuggets to pull out or a renewal, much like you said, you want to bring yourself back. So it's a renewal for you. Great book. Great suggestion. Okay. Last question. What is one thing that you would like our listeners to remember about you? I would like them to remember that it really is about first making sure you become the person that you can look in the mirror at night. And this is a quote from my from my dad who always said, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do out there. It doesn't matter what you say. But at night, when before you go to bed and you look in the mirror and it's you looking back at you, you got to like that person. And the important part that people often don't understand or forget, you can become the person you like and you can, you can turn yourself into that because a lot of people are passive, you know, and reacting to what comes toward them. I believe that if you feel resilient resistance or you get angry or you have emotions about certain things, they're gifts for you to resolve. 
but to become a person you actually genuinely like, that's that's got to be the goal for everyone. And so that's my message for your audience, Deb, is to say, are you that person? And if you're not that person, what can you start with today so you like the person in the mirror tonight a little bit better? I love that. And it's similar. You know, I lost my dad when I was 21. And I've I've had that conversation with a few of the, the leaders I've had on the show. And my dad used to say, don't ever say you don't know something. Tying back to what you said, you brought this breath of multi-sector, multi-experienced knowledge to your business, which is priceless. There's probably a gazillion initials we could attach to that, but that's not the message. That's not the importance. We all have working knowledge in many, many things and no pun intended, but I think we shortchange ourselves on the inner work to really do the outer work, to step in and make make an impact like you've done. I Especially women need to recognize that we are trained to justify our pure existence and that we always are challenged on our subject matter expertise. And so we become subject matter after subject matter, another degree, another master's, another MBA, another something, 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 because we always feel we have to justify our knowledge because that's what men are trained to do is to challenge us on our subject matter expertise. And that's something that's part of a program in the Women's Code that I do called the Unapologetic Value Proposition, where I actually teach women on how to just completely wipe that off the table. Because if you get into justifying your expertise, you're already lost. You're not going to get the job. You're not going to get the program. You have to stay focused on the vision, on what you bring, not on justifying why you're here. Well, and embracing that worth and worthiness and not having any opportunity to not be valiant in our own character. That is powerful. So many nuggets today. So I have to share with you, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here that you speak German fluently. I do. My favorite word in German, and I hope I say it right, Kugelschreiber. Kugelschreiber. Yes, excellent. I just love the just saying that. It means a pen for those of you listening because you can't see us laughing here as we're looking at each other. <laughs> like, how fun is that to say, I've lost my Google Schreiber. Do you happen to have one? <laughs> I like that. It's just a little, little, little curveball. Well, I just celebrated 31 years in business at the end of May, and I love meeting global leaders like you. I love what you stand for. I love the confidence you stand in. And I'm so glad our paths have crossed. I look forward to future thought-provoking conversations. But from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you for sharing your time, your expertise, and sharing a little piece of your story and your heart with us today on the show. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.